Hello and welcome to a somewhat begrudging Diminishing Returns. We're here. <laughs> and so, yes, this is the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King that we're looking at this week. My name is Sol. Uh, I think I have been by far and away the most negative uh, voice on this <laughs> podcast for the last couple of weeks. We'll see if that's going to continue today. Joining me as always is Mr. Alan Turing. Hello there. You've been somewhat more... I mean, you've been about Medium. as negative and <laughs> pissed off with it all as I have, but then you've sort of given it a nice rating at the end that's a lot more uh, <laughs> positive. Uh, and as with the last two weeks, where we've brought in a a Lord of the Ringer, as it were, someone that we can rely on to give a positive uh, opposite end of the spectrum... Uh, a balanced opinion for the show. Someone who likes Lord of the Rings, basically. Uh, joining us this week, we have Emily Slade. Yay! I am honoured to have the obligation of telling you why you're wrong <laughs> about this trilogy. Thank you. Yeah, we've saved the best for last here, because uh, obviously if you want an impassioned... But but completely <laughs> irrational argument. You go to Emily Slade. <laughs> it is my forte. It is on my CV. I'm I'm gonna set a challenge though that you're mm-hmm. not allowed to use the word iconic in defence of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Did I use up all of my iconics for this podcast up in the Mulan review? <laughs> Did I didn't realise I had a limited amount? I might have been a bit more. I mean, to be fair... God damn it, I've literally got it written down as a fucking note! (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, maybe some of this film is iconic, but I... You know, there were certain moments that did strike me as, oh, this is an iconic bit of film history when I was watching the other two. I don't think there was any moment in this film that... It's it's iconic from what it is. One of the most Oscar... Darling, darling Oscar, best picture winner, first fantasy movie to do so, first like yeah, but, third but did you movie see what it was up so. against? Uh, like uh, Kill Lost Bill in translation. Well, I mean, that, yeah, yeah I like that one, but there was a lot good. of other shit that year. Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. That's what it'd be. <laughs> that classic. Anyway, I want to complain about it later. Yeah, we'll come back the, to that. the Oscars have been a bit of a state for a while. Um, you know, a yeah, few, about, a couple yeah, of years, years ago, about ninety years. <laughs> it, which one was it? The Two Towers or the Fellowship of the Ring was beaten by a Beautiful Mind. And I mean, I, you know, as much as I hate the Lord of the Rings, I think I hate a Beautiful Mind even more. So, <laughs> yeah, Beautiful Mind sucks. <laughs> it is, it's an absolutely terrible film, A Beautiful Mind. It's one of the worst it's best boring. picture winners that there has ever been. All right, that's going on the next Patreon vote. <laughs> So yeah, just to bring you up to speed, Emily, basically, I despise The Fellowship of the Ring because it is terribly structured, there's no ending, uh, there's no story structure, nothing like that, and it's like three hours of just filler for the most part, there's maybe an hour's worth of story in it. Um, I was a lot Ow. more positive about the two towers when we came to that what? last week, but I'm genuinely shocked. I did not. <laughs> I expected you to be like, "Oh, fuck these movies," but like, I didn't <laughs> expect you to do it that way round. In terms of structure, I would have said the Fellowship has a much stronger three act structure really? than the two towers. All right, does. come on then. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's your... what I said basically. Really? Yeah. 
That's basically what I said. I watched it in three acts. I split it up into three parts, so I didn't have to watch it all at once. There's no conclusion to it. But there, there are in terms of arcs. Like Boromir gets his full character arc. Even pe- like minor characters that don't do anything in the later movies, like Gimli gets a full arc. Aragon gets something. Not in Fellowship, he, in he doesn't. Third movie. But like the stuff is ha- They like get the Fellowship. It, it joins together and then it breaks apart. Like it's a whole. The quest begins. The fellowship joins, yeah. and the fellowship breaks apart. I would argue that's the three act structure. But it isn't because that the fellowship breaking apart isn't the end of the story, nor is it even framed as the end of the story. It pretty much is because the final climax is the fellowship Frodo running off that way, and Merry and Pippin running off that way, and Borum is dead. Like it's very but, much the breaking of the fellowship. But if they never made a second, but if they never made a second or third film, that would in no way be remotely resembling a, a satisfying. It was, but it was. You have to remember that with these movies, they were always going to make at least. Well, two. you have to remember, Emily. That <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, a good even a good TV series. The best TV series, as serialized as it will be, will still contain a kind of self-contained story. I, on our Fellowship episode, um, I think the most... Sean, our guest, who's a huge Lord of the Rings fan, made the argument that it has a sort of structure insofar as Elijah Wood, uh, Frodo's arc, is this very subtle stepping up and realisation that he kind of has to take control of the situation and become this, you know, hero. I don't think it's even intended to be there, frankly. I think that was Sean just kind of managing to edit some, <laughs> like, wistful shots of Elijah Wood together in his mind. And... <laughs> I'll tell you my my further problem with that as well, and, and why they could have made that arc much more dramatic in the first film, is that now having watched the next few films, Frodo's character becomes so much more passive after that point. It's like, yeah, there's a bit exactly. more when he's with Gollum and all that, the opening of the second film. But throughout all this third film, which we'll get into, he's just so passive and it becomes really about Sam's yeah. strength. And, and that was quite disappointing for me. And so I think if you're going to make the first film, the Frodo film, which is what it is in hindsight now, then make it the Frodo film and make that his yeah, story. Yeah, and and the point that I think we made was, look, like it wouldn't have been hard to sell that idea a bit and make that very obvious. Well, yeah, it's, it's there. You just need to heighten it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I I hated the first one. Alan <laughs> thought it was fine as a sort of overlong bit of fantasy nonsense. Um, I think my other main issue with the franchise in general, which is I think the same for you, Alan, is just fantasy in general, high fantasy. And this is what I assumed. I, I 100%, as two, like, when I first came onto your podcast, I think I made a Lord of the Rings reference, and both of you went, we're not Lord of the Rings people. And I took <laughs> that as we're not fantasy people. I am, um, I didn't watch the Lord of the Rings when they first came out because I was way too young, and they, the premise of them frightened me because of all the scary images. Wait, what? How old were you when Lord of the Rings came when out? When the Fellowship of the Ring was <laughs> when the Fellowship of the Ring was on DVD, uh, I watched it on my eleventh birthday. Um, how old? So it'd have been like eleven. So, so you were about my. How old are you? Because <laughs> it sounds like you're about my yeah. age, and I went to see it in the cinema. I, mean, I wasn't allowed because they were twelve A's, <laughs> and you needed your parents' permission. 
and I, I yeah, it was it was one of the first twelve A's. Yeah, your par- your parents tried to save days. you from it, and, and you no, defied them. They didn't take me because, and the first, like, I was a petrified child. I was scared of everything, <laughs> and this really would have like fucked me up big time. Um, and then when I got them on DVD and started watching them, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, so that's why you like it, because it's how a child's sort of drawn <laughs> to the things that scare them and then obsess over a, a them. A little bit, and... but also remember who you're talking to. Like, I love fantasy. My favourite movie is Dragonheart, that shit one with Sean Connery as the dragon from 1996. <laughs> that's my favourite movie. We have to cover I that at some point, like, by the way, Alan. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> like, I love fantasy. The fact that this trilogy has been so successful in its film adaptation baffles me. Like Stranger Things baffles me as yeah. its success because I was like, oh, I can't stand Stranger Things either. This yeah. is for me, and I like it. Thank you for this. I will now take this. Whoa! Why is everyone following me with this thing? Why is everyone obsessed with this thing? What are you doing? This is the thing that you've been shitting on for twenty five years. And now suddenly you're all like, high fantasy is the greatest genre ever. Let's give it all of the Oscars and like make Game of Thrones now. Finally. Yeah, I must admit, I don't understand. I, that I, I was, I, yeah, I was just about to jump on and say, wow, it'd be nice if I could have that once in my life. But then I remembered that Electric that's Six. basically the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe, <laughs> which is now like the most successful film franchise of all time <laughs> and was very much this kind of nerdy comic book insanity being taken seriously. Yeah, it's like, the fact oh, yeah, that it's... Kind of like, honestly, fantasy had its heyday in the 80s and then it died for ages. And in 2001, this movie happened. And it, and it, it was the fact that it came out bang on post 9-11 the people clearly wanted ultimate good versus ultimate evil make our bad guys the baddest bad guys and let yeah. us watch the good guys kill them after which was 9/11. a big complaint of mine frankly from the first couple of films uh, I don't like that I like a bit of grey in my uh, well this is villains. the thing you're not going to get it in Lord of the Rings which is why I'm like why do you all like this you all fucking like your politics fantasies now so why I'm so confused. I love this movie and it confuses me why everybody else does. But then a lot of people like the books. They seem to be fairly faithful yet creative adaptations of them. And yeah, I think 9-11 had a lot to do with it. And the fact that this movie was in like pre-production for 10 years, they like hand made the chainmail like he created a production company just to do oh, these yeah. like Oh yeah, completely. They changed well, the way I, movies I, were marketed. They changed the way movies were shot. They like they're important movies for cinematic history, I would argue. So it's good that you've seen them. Yeah, yeah I'm not, we, 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 I think we accepted the, the, Pretty the, <laughs> the we, we accepted they were landmark films for a number of reasons, largely technical reasons, like visual yeah. effects and things like that. And and like you know, I'm not I'm not denying that the um, the craftsmanship rather than artistry the the craftsmanship on show with like the amount of work they put into costumes is quite remarkable because i know they made hundreds of pieces of chainmail and mm-hmm. so on for each costume and every costume was sort of given its own backstory with yeah. scars and so on and and like i appreciate that but then you know i i appreciated it when peter jackson built his own steady cam with a plank of wood to make bad taste and brain dead mm-hmm. you know I, I i i don't particularly think there's anything more impressive in this film than there is in bad taste mm-hmm. where peter jackson was running around you know rigging things up with stuff he could make in his kitchen yeah. and um 
so you know i'm ultimately for me the the film has to be judged without all that stuff that's just kind of icing on the cake isn't it and and i think that the main final issue that i really had with it was just and i think alan sort of agreed with me yeah, on this. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. It just felt like there was a complete lack of subtext or meaning and depth behind the entire story. It felt very It is as literal as like, this is an evil ring that needs to be destroyed or the bad man will get us. That's, yeah, I don't that's think you ever wrote it as like a political allegory or anything. You can apply stuff to it. Like when you look at Denethor, yeah. you can be like, oh, it's Boris Johnson. Or you can like be like, oh, that was some good acting for me and McKellen there, with knowing what we know. I can't I can't stand it when people do that. That's the most embarrassing thing in the world, what? is when when fellow liberal lefties try and win an argument by going, that's just like Voldemort, that is. And you're like, <laughs> oh god, don't, don't compare everything to Harry Potter, for fuck's sake. But, you know, Harry Potter's a good comparative piece, because I, I enjoy, for the most part, Harry Potter and the world of Harry Potter. I'm not blown away by it, but like I enjoy it. But I do often find myself getting annoyed because it's like, why don't you just fucking do magic then? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just fucking magic yourself out of that hole mm-hmm. or put that fire out with magic for fuck's sake? And that so there's that element that comes with fantasy that winds mm-hmm. me up. And that to be fair, there's not too much of that in this trilogy. I. I thought I was going to have more of it. I in, wanted to ask about Lord that, actually, in terms of Lord of the Rings. Because that's one of the things I really hate about fantasy, the kind of magic, just deus ex machina to- tools, you, whatever you want them to be. And basically there isn't much of that in Lord of the Rings. Uh, and, and in fact, yeah. it's one of the things that I think helped me enjoy it, particularly in terms of fellowship, is that it was... It's all grounded in reality. Yeah, these guys are a bit smaller yeah. than these other guys. This guy's strong. There's a big cave troll. But I can understand a big cave troll. It's just a big thing. It's very muscular. It's strong. There's nothing yeah, kind of... Yeah, out, yeah. It's all grounded in a sort of sense of physical reality. And mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with all that. I'm even okay that, you know, he's a sort of supernaturally good at shooting arrows or whatever. Like, okay. Mm, we'll get into that. But that, but, <laughs> but there's no real magic. And I actually wanted to ask, like, yeah. about Gandalf. Because Gandalf would be the one with magic, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't get any of that, and I don't know... We fucking do. Are you kidding? <laughs> Not really. He falls down He falls down a big hole with a monster and dies, and then he just turns up again, like, 20 minutes later in the next movie. And, there's, and they never even broach the subject of, like, how he did it. They do. They literally just tell like, you exactly how it happened. And show you images and visual aids. Do they in the film the the not extended edition? Yeah, the not extended edition. I know edition. we I... we watch him fall down a hole with the ball rug, and then he has a voiceover where he's like, "I I died," and then the powers that be, as it were, those from Valinor, basically resurrected me because my time on Earth had not finished and I needed to come back and sort some shit out. Which is why then four months, four years later, at the end, mm. he's like, "Cool, done my paperwork, caught up, off to the Undying Lands again." But then, hang on, so wait, what was it? Some angels saw him and went, it's not your time yet, and put him back to life. But yeah. So that is exactly what you're complaining about, Alan. That is deus ex, deus ex machina what? bullshit. What I'm, I guess what I'm referring to is in more in the sort of immediate moment where he doesn't just like go, oh, we need to get through this door, tap, tap with the old magic wand, there you go, it's open. 
you know, it's not just used as a tool to get out of stuff. He's fighting a magic dragon, yeah. smoke dragon. He uses magic in some ways, but, you know, I'm kind of... There was a point where I was fine with that, but mm. then it crosses that line sometimes, and it really um, pushes my buttons. Uh, we're going to talk about something in that later in this film that we're talking about. But in the in that first film, it's fairly kind of cold and and, and physical, and I'm that that helped me a lot in terms of that mm-hmm. first film. Enjoying the second one, I think, uh, relatively speaking, mm. as well. Yeah. So, I mean. Basically, I I preferred the second film because I felt there was more structure because it's all building up to a big battle, mm-hmm. and then they have the battle, and then it's done, yeah. and that's kind of the story. And they say, look, the the battle may be over, but the war has just begun. But we've seen the story of that battle, mm-hmm. so it felt like I could kind of get on board with the structure of this self-contained film about a battle where whereas i felt that it was just a film about building up to a battle and that's boring so i was less interested oh, I, uh, well <laughs> i look i agree i found it very boring too but you know i found the first one to be dull, fair but... i i found the second one quite watchable i still yeah. was okay with it but and i and i thought the battle stuff i thought the battle stuff was quite engaging in terms of battle stuff now I've seen the third one. I I I, I practically love it. I, it's because <laughs> not to get not to jump too far ahead, but God. watching the third film, it was so bad that I had an existential crisis afterwards. So we'll see. I think I might share some of those sentiments, <laughs> Emily. I, um. I had never watched the Return of the King. Okay, doesn't surprise uh, me. Prior to the watching I did for this episode mm-hmm. of the podcast. And did you watch it all in one go or did you take breaks? I, I did it all in one go. Nice, well done. So I, I I did go into it thinking, look, I preferred the second one to the first one, significantly in fact. This one actually has an ending. Oh god. So <laughs> <Has> several. <laughs> it will adhere to some form of structure and won't piss me off on that front. <laughs> Um, so I went into it thinking, look, I might like, and it's generally regarded as the best one. Mm-hmm. This one, it's you know, it's the highest rated on IMDb by 0.1 out of 10. It's the one that won all of the Oscars. Although to be fair, that I think was widely regarded as a kind of acknowledgement for the, the thing, entire yeah. trilogy. But you know, I, I really did. I I can't stress how much I did go into this with an open mind. Uh huh. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I tried to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, when you asked me if I liked Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh my god, yes, I can't wait. And then when you asked me to do The Return of the King, I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright then. Because I usually watch the extended, that racks the Return of the King up to about six hours of film time. <laughs> Wait a minute, there is not an extended cut of this film. Yeah, there is no way that the cut I watched was not the <laughs> longest possible cut you could make. Of <laughs> no, that. there's longer. There is nothing more there's you could put the in. The House of Healing, and there's more with Mograth, and there's loads more Denethor and Faramir. Like you get tons. There's I just watch these films the, and the I, I dead. Like there's loads. I more. don't have a clue who two thirds of the characters are. Yeah, that's you fair. just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I so I've always been like the king. I even I found it like long and boring because it's mostly battles. I was I was blown away by that because my understanding was always that you know all the two towers, this amazing half hour battle sequence. It's the greatest battle in cinema history because it's just battle. The entire third <laughs> fucking movie is a, just a big battle. Yeah, it's a three and a half hour battle. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, I take sorry. It's a three hour battle and then half an hour slow of motion endings. different endings, one after the other. <laughs> I and this is the thing. So I watched the theatrical cut yesterday after I'd watched the theatrical cut of the Fellowship and the Two Towers, one after the other. It was a beautiful day. Thanks for asking. And it was a joy. It was a joy <laughs> to watch this shortened version, this efficient, focused version. As much as you probably don't believe me, it got to the point, and it was efficient, and it was concentrated, and. Just, See, this is clearly just, you've been you've been conditioned by watching the longer version, so that now this <laughs> version seems acceptable to you. <laughs> if you showed me like an hour and a half cut of this, I'd probably be fine. Alan, right? And I, gen- I, I mean, I'm saying it in a humorous way, but like, be completely honest, completely sincere. I'm glad that I can put this to bed now, and I never have to touch the Lord of the Rings again <laughs> in my mm. life. It is done. Finally, it's over. Um, it's done. I. I would genuinely rather self-mutilate in like a mild, <laughs> in a mild capacity, than watch any of these films ever again. Oh, wow. um, and like, I'm trying to figure out the extent to which I'd go. Like, I wouldn't cut off a finger or anything <laughs> mad like that. But I, I think I would happily leave like a lasting scar. <laughs> you know, I, I would rather, I would rather like take a knife to my body and like really hurt oh my myself God. than watch any of these films again. <laughs> and I'm just wondering how you feel about it, Alan. Would you would you lose a toe or anything like that? Or? <laughs> I don't know about that. Basically what happened when I watched this was it was so bad and and not just not to my taste. It's not to my taste, I'll grant you. But also just an objectively bad film. Badly structured, badly written, no character, all the stuff. And I and then I thought, well, other people like this. And it just made me feel so kind of disconnected and distant from the world. And yeah. I just saw, and I have that a lot, frankly. Like that is a feeling I get a lot. And it may be heightened because we're all in isolation and stuff at the moment. But I just thought I have no I have nothing in this world. I have no connections. That's basically what I got out of this film. Wow. <laughs> I, I Because I, if I this is what's acceptable <laughs> as entertainment <laughs> And I don't want to be part of the people who watch this. Look, I, I had a similar uh, reaction, actually, because I, I've been really hitting the IMDb Top 250 a lot recently. And, you know, I watched Gone with the Wind recently for the first time. I watched these films again. So I, I had the same thing, because I didn't like any of them. I was like, is this really considered, like, the best film ever? Like it's, And, and I, I got quite sad. But then I watched uh, The Hunt the other day. The, oh, yeah. the is it Danish film about a man who's accused of paedophilia and it ruins his life mm-hmm. and it's just an unpleasant, slow-moving drama. And I loved it. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not completely out of step with everyone. That's in IMDb's top hundred films currently. I, I obviously do have a lot of mainstream crossover. I just don't like populist 
shite, um, I guess. But Except like, I do a lot of the time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I love what Marvel's doing. And and I must admit that there's a lot of parallels between this film and Avengers Endgame. Which is also a poor movie and doesn't live up to the hype. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I, I didn't particularly love Endgame. I, I love Marvel. I, I Infinity was really War excited is a brilliant for it. movie. Endgame oh, Infinity War is... is very I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I get it, though, because, you know, Avengers Endgame is the culmination of, what, 23 movies? And it does feel like just a victory lap fan service. Oh, my God. And, and I will throw my hands up in the sky and say, at a certain point, I think some of that is earned and justified. But I don't know if... I don't know if that level of just nonsense fan service is earned after three movies like two movies in which is what this is it's not quite the same i know what you're saying about the fan service i think the cgi was groundbreaking and they won all the awards and andy circus is brilliant and i like fine don't take what was good in one movie like legolas with his bow in the fellowship really cool really cool stuff stuff. sorry i take issue with the idea that legolas has ever been (laughs) Anything no, good like, in any the, capacity. The archery, the archery at the end of the fellowship that he's doing, where he takes out like three people one after another, you're like, nice. I what is this? Why are people interested in archery? <laughs> like by far and away the, and, the and worst God. thing in the Marvel <laughs> the worst thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, without question, Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, but if you put Jeremy Renner as Iron Man, it'd be the worst character in Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> But at least Iron Man has a personality and, like, some if sort he's played of by Jeremy Renner. In the form but it's of not, I'm not talking about Orlando Bloom as Legolas. I'm talking about the use of archery and yeah. that it was, like, a fun little bit of, like, stunt and it was cool. However, what they then do is make him in the two towers slide down some steps. Cowabunga, dude. Bit dumb. Bit dumb. Bit dumb. Didn't care for it. And then we get to this movie where the CGI budget has clearly been ranked up. They've got more time on their hands. They want to do some more stuff, which is fine. But the stuff that they choose to do is just embarrassing. I, I must just jump in on that note there, actually. One of my first notes about this film is uh, how impressive the CGI is. Because I, I, I said it was actually a bit ropey in a couple of places in the previous two mm-hmm. films. We've, I mean, you know, I, I acknowledge that when it came out, they were both very impressive, but I think the two towers in particular had some really iffy CGI mm. in places. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film, it was like pretty uh, yeah, I noticed that it was seamless. Really good. I have to say, it's like wow, the but CGI started, is really good here. This... They've started overusing it, and if they'd made a fourth Lord of the Rings, that would have been ultimate fan service, completely ridiculous, mostly well, CGI. Um, they did, and they the did, and it is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like. They, they've proved my point like it was it was awful and you're starting that, that bizarre to that orc guy who's entirely cgi for some reason <sighs> and, yeah yeah and so like that's why the return of king was never my favorite i was always like don't care i really like being in rohan and i really liked hanging out with those people i loved groomer wormtongue and sarah Saruman. Poor Saruman's fucking death gift. Do you guys even know what happens to Saruman? It's so dodge. I don't know if you want me to wait until we get there. He's not even in this fucking film, is he? No, but... I made that note. What the fuck happened to Saruman? So, like, in the extended edition, when when they ride up to the tower and Merry and Pippin are smoking weed and they're all like, hey, everyone, what's up? And Treebeard is like, 
Saruman is up in his tower. It then cuts away to like see everyone from really far away, and Gandalf does a really clunky voice. You just hear a gunshot. Where he's like, and there Saruman must stay. And then we come back to like normal cinematography. In the extended edition, you see that Saruman is up on the top of the tower, and he has a whole conversation where he's like, fuck you, bitches. And then he throws himself off the tower and impales himself on a spike. Spike. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's really sad. And it meant that Christopher Lee fell out with Peter Jackson for ages because he was like, why did you cut my death scene? It would have taken two seconds. That is a weird thing to cut out because it's never mentioned. It's not even like referenced later to say, no, oh yeah, by the way. They just like, and there he must stay in his tower. The end about Saruman. Anyway. I'm not, uh, I'm trying not to give away my thoughts too much on how I feel about this film in relation to the other two. <laughs> I don't think I can hide the fact that I didn't come away liking this one miraculously, <laughs> but but um, I must side with Alan with a point here that this is kind of proof that maybe these films are not actually very well made because you, the main villain mm-hmm. from the previous two films, and yes, I know Sauron is actually like the emperor, but you know, Saruman is the Darth Vader here. He's the actual main yeah. villain of these films doesn't even appear in this one. I know, I can And they don't agree. even, they barely acknowledge him. It, it, that is It's dumb. He's, appalling he was literally the primary antagonist for both Fellowship and The Two Towers, and he's not even given his death scene. And like, I completely agree with Christopher Lee. It makes no sense. They did him a dirty. It was completely ridiculous. They could have cut what Peter Jackson wanted to cut, which was the Army of the Dead, and done more with Saruman. Oh, well, hang on. No! Don't get me wrong, I'm just quoting what Peter Jackson thinks. How about instead of cutting the only part of this film that works, <laughs> we uh, we cut something shit, like one of the kings talking to another king. <laughs> There's not that many kings. I don't know. All the, all the men are so boring. Yeah. You know how you know it's become very popular now to to complain about just a load of white men sat around <laughs> talking and how boring it is? Yeah. Well... <laughs> Never has that been more relevant than when talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King, because I couldn't give less of a shit about all of the the, <laughs> the men. The problem with that, all that stuff, is that you need to either engage with it or not, and they kind of half do it, where you get the characters mm. going, "Oh well, should we go and support them when they didn't come and support us?" And there's all this internal politics of the different peoples that in itself could be interesting. I mean, it's kind of Game of Thronesy, isn't it? And it's, it's that, but you need more time to develop that. You can't just half do it. And then it's just like, and then it just falls into this thing of being like about honor and we must fight with, die with pride so that we can go to the hinterland with our swords in our bellies. It's like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> so what do you want to do? Are we starting from like the beginning and breaking it down? Well, look, I've made notes like I did with the other ones. So one of my big sort of comments about the previous film was how sorely lacking uh, a kind of Smeagol flashback with Andy Serkis not all CGI'd up. Like how blatantly that previous film kind of needed it. So up from here, that's what we have. Filmed for the second movie. As well. In the original script, they were putting it in the two towers and then they changed their mind and opened the Return of the King with it, which I quite like because then it means that we open the two towers with Gandalf 
for his arc to come back. And this one we open with Smeagol and his arc to die. Mm. I mean, I, 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 I liked it as an opening, but I have some issues with it. I'm sure uh, you do. <laughs> my, right, my main complaint, right, I like the idea, I always thought the idea was that Gollum was kind of a normal guy who got kind of corrupted by evil and turned into this abomination. Yes. And it turns out he was actually a bit of a freak to begin with. <laughs> he already kind of spoke like this and crawled around and did Mr. Bean faces, Rowan Atkinson faces. Yeah, I didn't like that. When it opened this time around, I was very much like, oh, he could have not done his, like, uh, precious voice just yet. I just not quite as extreme. The way that that was the... The decision they took, I just thought it was going to be Andy Serkis being, like, an actor, which he's good at doing. I thought it was going to be Andy Serkis just being like, oh, wow, what's that? Let's have a look. Like, they are nice. a weird species oh. as it is. They're, like, hobbits, but, like, by the water. So they are a bit sort of weird anyway. But then compared to his friend, who seemed fairly more normal, yeah. um, and, it was and, a shame. And, like, how, how good would that scene be as a self-contained moment if it was two normal people you could relate to. I mean, basically, it just wasn't done as well as it should have been. Because they're, I, I they're think... trying to be faithful to the books that were written, like, during the Second World War. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they are they are restricted by their source material. You're never restricted by the source material. That is not an excuse. If you choose to make a film adaptation, then adapt it. You know, don't give me that yeah. bullshit. You choose what and, differences and... you're going to make. And if you don't make them, that's a choice. But even but even then, if if he has to strangle him, have him strangle him dangling off the side of the boat. Do you know? It it just you can make that whole thing quite menacing. Out. But on that's the water. what you. It but just, if you make that character, the the Smeagol character, more kind of normal, let's say, and then you know, in this moment of kind of passion where he wants the ring, he kills his friend, and then he's like, he has a moment of realization where he's like, oh my god, what have yeah. I done? And then he's <laughs> and like, that, okay, nice, well I'm committed now. It. In with, uh, if he pulled Deagle back onto the boat and then had that conversation, it could tie Hang in on. with in the Fellowship when. Sorry. What? Oh yeah, his name. His is friend's Deagle. called Deagle. Smeagol and Deagle. Yeah. But this is yeah, this the, the 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 broader point here that I I'm perfectly willing to blame Tolkien for rather than Jackson and Walsh. There's no character development anywhere. And this, and you're even doing a flashback with a character that has been corrupted completely. You go a flashback to when he was normal, and he's basically the same. That's how weak the character. It really, is. It, it really annoyed me because I'd sort of been expecting this scene and imagining it in my head all the way through the second film, and then like, oh, I can't wait to see that Gollum flashback that I yeah. bet we get at the next film instead, and. It just was such a letdown compared to pretty much the same yeah. beats that I'd imagined in my head, but, you know, just not put together that well. It really struck me, because I, I remember when I went to watch The Hobbit, my main takeaway was, wow, that one was actually badly directed. Like, I didn't like the Lord of the Rings films, but they're well crafted. I just don't like the writing. But to be honest, I don't think I don't know if Peter Jackson's a particularly great director. Like, he Well, he's a bizarre choice. All he'd done was like body horror, weird <laughs> B-movies before. and then he Fantastic B-movies. Yeah, but then he was handed 
arguably the most important one of the most well no like, to give him credit he did heavenly creatures to give him credit he was yeah to give him credit he wasn't handed this he made it happen Mm. he he went out and uh you know he made a number of wonderful b-movie horror comedies he made heavenly creatures Mm -hmm. which showcased his ability to do a a very human level drama he made the frighteners which showcased his ability to do a kind of crowd-pleasing effects heavy blockbuster uh i think the frighteners was largely where he was able to kind of build up wetter effects and make a bit of money and he as far as i know he bought the rights to the lord of the rings and pretty much self-financed these films essentially that he really forced it into existence and and credit to him you know his, his vision obviously appeals to a lot of people anyway the golem scene's one of the best parts of the film <laughs> oh, no. i was enjoying the film at this point but i you know it wasn't like good it was just keeping my attention uh, but then the next scene almost almost immediately lost me because the next scene is basically some some hobbit uh, like is it the Scottish one I don't fucking remember some <laughs> hobbit finds a fucking bowling ball in a stream yeah and I was out that was <laughs> me. I was like right never mind oh. this film's a write off he's found a fucking bowling ball. But the bowling ball was established in the first film. It's it's Saruman's bowling yeah. ball. Yeah, it's Saruman's bowling Is ball. Is that the what? That's his ball he has up in the castle. Yeah, yeah that Gandalf puts the blanket back over no. and is like, "Don't fucking do what? that shit." So what? It just happened to fall into a river. He probably threw it at someone trying to get him out it's, of the tower. It's true that, like, in terms of character development, um, we're suffering here because. Pippin has been touching shit he shouldn't have been touching this whole time, and then he, like, does it again. And it's like, oh, I'll just pick up this shiny ball. It's like, Pippin, Pippin, what have we learned about touching things that we shouldn't be touching? That bit's fine, though. That bit when he picks it up. and then But then Gandalf takes it off him, and he, they have this little look between them. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Like, is this is this going to kick off? And obviously it's setting up that Pippin is then going to look for it again and all this, and that there's obviously some sort of draw Pippin's been drawn to it by some evil force or whatever. But But they they act like he's being unreasonable. Like if you found a fucking magic artifact in the river, it's perfectly reasonable that he'd be like, hey lads, look at this. It's but that's it. And if Gandalf just <laughs> if Gandalf here. just goes, oh we better cover that up because otherwise, you know, the big bad guy can see everything we're doing. But what yeah. I thought at that moment, because I didn't know where it was going, I thought, oh Gandalf's pissed off at Pippin. Because he's the one who woke up the Balrog, and he's the one who like woke up the squid thing when he was chucking rocks into the pool. And it's like, yeah, Pippin's the fucking idiot. Literally, isn't he? and Gandalf's like, Gandalf's life, mate, so you've hard. already, you've literally killed fucking, me. I died yeah, because of you. Liability, and yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, that's nice. It's going to kick off, but then it wasn't that. It was just, you know, that should become quite friendly. And then... But I think that's still a thing, and that's why it's nice when we go on later to see their relationship and they get to have a lot more conversations and they get to hang out more as a couple i, w- I want to ask about this right mm-hmm. okay what is gandalf and i don't mean like is he so, a wizard i mean what the fuck is going like, on with his character what character is he supposed to have because i don't know what it is it's not consistent is he supposed no, to not, be like a rascible 
sort of occasionally just gets really unnecessarily angry for a few seconds. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's like your granddad who's, you know, your, your parents don't have a great relationship with their dad. You as the grandson never see it. You only see the friendly like side of it, the magic trick learning toy maker kind of side of him, the old man. But then like as you get a bit older the cracks start to show and you think, "Oh, he's got a bit of a drinking habit and and it turns out, oh yeah, he is actually a really ratty old man <laughs> underneath it, and he's got a real temper. And if you were like living with him, it would probably be really annoying. It's that, <laughs> so, isn't it? He's like he's nice yeah, for ten minutes, he's, but then he's, he's under actually... a lot of pressure. You know, he died. He literally he's an angel that got sent down to this world anyway. He's ridiculously old. He's uh, trying to fight this war with these people, and he just wanted to cut. It's like. It's like if Jesus came down and he just wanted to smoke weed in, like, Somerset. And God kept being like, excuse can you please go to Afghanistan and, like, deal with that? Please, can you do that? <laughs> but this, I think this is part of my problem. I don't think any of the characters are good. I, I, in terms of not well written, some of them don't have character at all. Like, Legolas has no character whatsoever. The ones that do have character are very sort of straightforward. And... <laughs> Gandalf just seems like he's probably quite a nasty piece of work, but they've thought, oh, we can't have that as our kind of friendly old man. Let's put Ian McKellen in. He's nice and likable. But then there's a conflict between what he's actually doing and saying and how he's coming across. You look at other adaptations, like the animated one, and Gandalf seems a lot more sort of just like wise, old and soft, and just sort of floating through life being like, okay, let's like see what's going on here, no worries, no worries. I think Ian McKellen made choices to make him more human and therefore relatable, I don't know. See, that's what, that's the that's the problem, isn't it? What Ian McKellen's done is try to put character into it. And that's a problem because no one else has thought of doing that in the whole film. And hey, so he stands out, and it seems odd. Aragorn. Name me one element of character about Aragorn. Noble. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I have to admit, I think Gandalf was one of my favourite things in this film. He He was one of the few elements that kind of did really work for me in places. And I think that is partly because there's a bit of a ju- there's more than one personality trait going on at once. Mm-hmm. There is a darkness there, but it's a very pragmatic. I've got a job to do. There are moments that come up later on where he's actually pretty cool, and I I enjoyed him. But I think that's what I mean. I think I bet that's not in the book because it feels so out of place. And it just doesn't quite work with the character because they never quite commit one way or the other, and it's not it, it doesn't come across as kind of ambiguous either. It's it just it feels like uh, several different people just trying things and see what happens. Do you know what? <clears throat> I want to say something that might surprise you. Uh, I quite like Merry and Pippin. Yeah, I think they are. They come across as the nicest Our characters. They friendship really loyal. Uh, brave to the point of stupidity sometimes, but totally ready to jump in. They stumbled into this completely by accident. They're not prepared Mm -hmm. for it. They're not warriors. They're not special like Frodo. And I'm going to say similar things about Sam. We'll talk about him later. Is Frodo special? Yeah, he's the ring bearer. 
Well, yeah, he's the ring bearer, but I mean, you know, the kid at a wedding is <laughs> special. He's just the king of a wedding is given a ring, fighting off pure evil on a daily basis. But it's not like he's the chosen one, is it? It's not like he's got magic. Well, ring there is hands. a sense he's of that. Just the guy who's got the ring. Like, like if they if they could, you can't give the whole point about the Lord of the Rings is you can't give it to the strongest, most amazing person in the world to take to Mordor to destroy because they would get corrupted and they would suck. Because a dumb hobbit that doesn't know shit about anything has it. You know they should have given it to? Who? Joseph Gilgan. Because he's the nicest man in the world (laughs) and there's no way it would corrupt him. He would just... He would take it there. The orcs would come out and he'd just befriend them. He'd be like, you're right, mate. Oh, look at that axe. Dead sterling, that sterling. All right, see you, mate. And they'd be like, oh, what a nice man. And he'd just pop it in. Anyway, so I think, but yeah, Mary, Mary and Pippin, and like they have some nice moments between the two of them. They have some really lovely moments in this. Movie. They're also really loyal to their other friends and the and the group and the dynamic and that whole thing. I really like that. If this was a film where there was like three principal characters and they were like the two others, it'd be great. It's just too many other nonsense characters here. Like you're honestly telling me that you didn't get a little bit sad when it was like that super dramatic cut of like I'll see you again though, right, Mary? And he looks at Gandalf and he's like, I, I don't know him. I'll tell you why I'll tell you why that didn't emotionally impact me. <laughs> because I so checked out by that point. Yeah, I, I I've made I've made a note here. I, I've tried to do the half hour checking in that I've been doing for the other films, sort of showing my process of sort of being on board with it for an hour and then giving up. And my first note here is thirty minutes in and I'm flagging already. Yeah. I'm up to Hugo Weaving. I made that. I made a note an hour and fifteen. I said it's lost me, um, and I, and it wasn't that I wasn't interested in what was happening. It was just I was only really interested in what was happening to Frodo. Everything else was just yeah. We're setting up for a big battle. Do you know what'll happen? We'll win. Do you know who's going to die? No one of importance. So it's really not interesting at all. And that is a real shame. It's something I made a note of later. It's just like fucking kill somebody, let somebody die because let's have a bit of pathos in this ending. I thought the same thing, and I was watching this with my friend last night, and she made the point. Where she was like, we don't want any of that bullshit JK Rowling stuff over here. Like, let's just have a nice fantasy tower. Everybody gets to go home at yeah. the end. Like, it is, it is nice. By that point, it's so later on, and we don't, we won't have any consequences of it anyway. Because you don't, you forget that Lupin dies. Who? Because the movie. Oh, then yeah, ends. but you, you, you is can. You know that you don't have to kill Hedgewig in the first five pages, but you can still let some characters die in the big fucking and they, battle. They do, you know, them. all the characters that had an arc leading up for them to die die. So you know, I want. Do you know what? Right, this is a general thing, or the whole trilogy. Something that you could take out really easily it wouldn't affect the film. Well, it would affect the film for the better. Elves. Everything. Yeah, yeah, every single oh. bit of the elves can come out. Every time the Liv Tyler elf comes on, the the film yeah, just goes oh. to the ground so and stops. So they had a problem where they needed women in this movie because it was two thousand one. So they had yeah. to flesh out characters that weren't. No, just have a have out. a woman Hobbit. Just yeah. put a woman Hobbit They've in. Any of them could be a woman. Legolas could be a woman. Put a woman Hobbit in who's good at archery. Get rid of the elves. Done. Problem solved. The trouble is, with Eowyn's storyline, because originally Arwen was meant to be in the Battle of Helm's Deep, and they shot Liv Tyler uh, on location at Helm's Deep, but then they cut it all because they realised that to do that would undermine what happens with Eowyn. But nothing happens with Eowyn, because we've already established... If we haven't got Liv Tyler there, you can get a nice little romantic subplot with the with the ginger woman. And women aren't 
just about romantic subplots. Well, do you want to tell Peter Jackson that? Because apparently he doesn't know that. Hang on. Does Liv Tyler have any story beyond a romantic subplot? It's barely even that. No, you know you know how she's dying in this movie? That's not in the book. That's forced Peter Jackson conflict. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's very frustrating. But the whole thing is that Lord of the Rings doesn't have women in it. So it's fucking huge that the Witch King of Angmar is Macbeth by A. Owen. And like... To do any, the trouble is to do anything else with the women then undermines that brilliant moment. But so we have to sacrifice. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is Ao in that woman? The woman that kills the witch king. Yeah. All right, that bit where she kills the witch king. Yeah. Was one of the few moments where I kind of sat up and got engaged. Like just something about how the action was kind of constructed. And you, you know what it was? Like we're jumping ahead here, but it's because so much of the battle in this film is just like a thousand peasants being thrown at like yeah. a thousand men with swords being thrown it at was a thousand. Focused and and for that one moment we focus in on two people having a fight and then suddenly I'm interested again. It's like, okay, she's jumping to one side, she chops its head, they're throwing a bit of like you know, banter back and forth. Like, it's not particularly strong dialogue, but I'll take it. I, I yeah, out of everything in this film, that was one of my favourite moments. But you know when she kills him, Sol? Yeah. How does he die? Uh, she pokes him in the eye and he pops. It, like, <laughs> deflates like a balloon. And it's good that, like, to be honest, if, if she knew that would kill him, why didn't she just have, like, a slingshot, pop him in the eye with that? Don't really know what that was about. And yeah, and then she goes, she says something like, uh, you know I'm a woman, right? And it's like, yeah, because was that a twist? Like, are we not meant to know it's a woman? No, we do know it's a woman. You know, that's why when she gets married... But this is right, right? Sol Sol hasn't recognised the point of the scene because it's such a shit thing that he's he's oh. managed to surpass it. So throughout this entire movie they're like, <laughs> no man can kill the Witch King of Angmar. No man can kill him. And he even says... No man can kill me. Essentially, you're meant to think he's immortal, but then she's a woman, so she can kill him. Oh, I just thought when he was saying no man can kill him, he was being like, no one can kill him. That's what it means, Sol. That's why it's a really shitty bit of writing, because that's obviously what it means. But then, if Aragorn had gone up and popped him in the eye, he wouldn't have died, because that's a man, do you see? And 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 the the world (gasps) can understand the difference with a sword held by a woman. Oh, that's fucking shit. Thank you. I just thought it was. See, I, I knew I knew Sol didn't understand it like, because he hadn't said that it was shit, and it is shit. I thought, <laughs> I thought he just gone. Look, no one can kill me, and it was just like, look, the Titanic can't sink, and it was just like bluster. I didn't know that was some actual that. magic rule that no, they had to find the a loophole in the I don't wording. Think, of. I don't think it's a magic rule. I think it was just a prophecy. Like how no man of woman born can kill me, or I was born Caesarian, fuck you. It's that. It's not that it was destined. Which is also it's awful, by the way. Don't start pulling Shakespeare in to try and justify things, you <laughs> shitty writers go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no man or woman born can kill me, but if you build a robot... <laughs> But that's it. If you say, well, no man can kill me. Well, it's not. It's a sword that's killing you. So there you go. Job done. Oh, yeah. We, we sent an, an, an olifant to trample you. <laughs> you know what they're called. We had a, we've already dealt with it the last one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, 
I was really impressed then, but it's because you shattered. <laughs> yeah, we had a laugh about that. <laughs> and I must admit, you know, in some of the harder moments in this film, when I was really struggling, it was nice to just imagine a load of Timothy elephants running up <laughs> the grass with people on his back. For fuck's sake! <laughs> is dying and I'll agree that it's bullshit but it gives her something to do and she has that really sad scene with Figwit and Who? that's another point that I cried. Figwit! Oh yeah, remind me which McKenzie. one Figwit is? I remember his name annoying me at the time. Alright, <laughs> uh, yeah, Brett McKenzie. Brett McKenzie was in the fellowship, people paused him, gave him a nickname. Oh! That's why I remembered it! Yes, Brett McKenzie, of course! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I remember Figwit. Peter Jackson. Yeah, because Brett McKenzie plays two different... It annoyed me seeing him in The Hobbit, but The Hobbit can go suck a dick, so we'll just ignore that it ever happened. <laughs> well, okay, so just to go back to Arwen, Hugo Weaving turns up and says, her fate is now tied to the ring. What? Don't know why. Also, know. but even even if we accept that that's the truth, why are we doing that? Why do we need to make this personal for Aragorn? So now Aragorn's thinking, oh, well, I've got to sort this out now, otherwise my bird's going to die. And why is that... <laughs> Like, he's already on board. He's already, yeah, we're saving the universe. That's fine. That's enough. You don't have to create smaller stakes within the bigger stakes. It's stupid. I don't know. I, I don't think there's a problem with making smaller stakes that you can focus in on and care about. He's trying Did to make arcs. He's trying no. to bring conflict in where we don't necessarily need conflict. But he does it a lot. You see it throughout these movies. Just They're so big, he's trying to make these mini arcs, and some pay off and some don't. An arc with no payoffs, just a straight line. <laughs> she I mean, gets better. It's called an arc because it <laughs> bends around. Um, so, so, hang on. Are we up to the point where Gandalf goes into the king's house? Oh, yeah. Roll credits, ding. We can, yeah, because I've, I've got a note here, after Arwen is dying, I've got my note saying, uh, roll credits, ding. And also my third cry tally is you've seen Frodo and Sam. So yeah, we're at Minas Tirith now. I don't know what you, half of what you just said meant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what it means. <laughs> so he's talking to Denethor and he says, you cannot deny the return of the king. The John, is his name John Noble? The guy that's like chewing all of the scenery. He's the steward of Gondor. Yeah. What's Gondor? He's the one who just sort of refuses to do anything and tries to burn his own son alive and himself. Yeah. Is he the the dickhead that was annoying Gandalf that I really enjoyed? There's a scene here where Gandalf starts to get good and they go into a castle to tell the king something. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, not Pippin, the other one. Yes, Pippin. Oh, I thought it was his mate. All right, Pippin then goes, I'm really sorry, your son died saving me. I loved that because the look on Gandalf's face yeah. of just sheer embarrassment. Like, it's what the great, fuck are you doing? All is the way hilarious. up as well. He's like, don't mention this, don't mention that, don't mention this. In fact, don't say anything at all. Pippin immediately says the complete wrong thing. And then what's even better is it's followed up by a scene where Pippin's trying on this armor and he's like, oh, it's more just like a ceremonial role, right? Don't you think, Gandalf? <laughs> mm. And with the biggest sass in the world, Gandalf is like, you're in the service of the steward now. You're going to have to do as you're told. Peregrine Took, guard of the Citadel. Zing! <laughs> but, but I mean, it, the way he plays that moment of, like, just, what are you doing? Like, Get absolute up. mortification. It's, yeah, it was brilliant. It's brilliant. But that, that, and also at that point, Gandalf whacks him in the face with a stick. 
Well, that you, was yes. fantastic. I loved it. But it's a nice moment. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to karate chop the guy, why didn't you do that when you arrived? And he said, "Fuck off! I'm not. I'm not helping." Because politics, because he was because he was giving yeah. him a he was giving him a degree of chance, and it got to a point where it was like, "Look, this is causing trouble now." Are we talking about when he beats the guy to death and takes charge of the battle? Is that what you're talking about? He doesn't beat him to death. He whacks him in the face with a stick, and then no, takes like charge of the battle. Smashes him over the head and whacks him like repeatedly, and then leaves him on the ground out of shot, presumably covered in blood, dead. No, because no, because he carries on there. doing things, see- and he's still got men he- servile to him. Oh, he kills sake. his own son. This film sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sol took a nap and won't admit it. <laughs> Um, my next note is, is that Carl Urban? And it was. So that was a nice little yeah. surprise. And then Brett McKenzie as well. He yeah. was in the second one. Was he? <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about Aoma. Oh, God. Okay, I know this one. When Gandalf comes back over the, with the sunrise and defeats the orcs, he's got Carl Urban with him. Yeah, and Carl Urban, you met Carl Urban like 20 minutes into the Two Towers at Rohan. He gets kicked out by Brad Dourif. Whatever happened to him, eh? What happened to Wormtongue? Wormtongue's with um, Thingy. He's with uh, Saruman. See, now that's a good scene. You go, you say Saruman's trapped in the tower, you cut to them, and he's there with Wormtongue, and Wormtongue's like, meh, 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 And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm just going to kill myself. Chucks himself out the window. Then my next note, anyway, that I was leading to, sorry, is genuinely no idea what's going on. I tried reading the plot description on Wikipedia. <laughs> I can't even do that without tuning out. So many made-up names and places that just sound like total bullshit. So I, I was gone. I couldn't begin to... And this is less than halfway through. I, I just... I can't do it. And like I've tried. We've completely forgotten to talk about the spider. Oh, oh well, that's God. because it's completely irrelevant to anything. And like could have been removed from the film or something. Yeah. It's not because that's where Gollum goes to try to get rid of the hobbits. That's where he goes to try and get the ring. And then you're meant to. Th- I think you're meant to think that Gollum is dead. But like, so it's quite important if you're. What, I mean, I know you probably knew that Gollum hadn't died. Well, I put yeah, I put but, that better not be yeah, the last like, we see I, of Gollum because that would just be a fucking terrible way to finish that. Character. I, I know why. I know why it's there. I get it. But I again, it's like, do we need a twenty minute? Action yes. to oh, it's so slow. pay it off. Everything's so slow. It's it's the most that Lord of the Rings has felt like Harry Potter so far as well. It was the most yeah, kind of the like giant spider. It's of... very Stephen King, isn't it? It's just pathetic, really. And it was also... just. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a problem. It's just like oh, we've got a giant spider now. Aren't there bigger things to be focusing on at this point in this story? Mm. Not if you're about to get eaten by a spider and you're carrying the Yeah, no, I, I, I don't mean from Frodo's point of view. I mean from J.R.R. Tolkien's point of view. It's like, why that, are you chucking no, in a scene about a fucking one, spider? The One Ring. For all we know, it wouldn't have done because he's a shit writer, but for all we know, the One Ring could have been abandoned in that cave like it was many years ago in the Misty Mountains and the whole thing could have been fucked right then and there. And someone would have had to have gone in and tried to find the ring. The spider. There's a spider attack. First of all, I made a note of, am I supposed to take death by spaghetti seriously here? Like, of all the special effects to do, it just looks so shit. It doesn't behave like a fucking spider, so it wasn't scary. Like, the idea that you'd be caught in web, right? 
as soon as that spider knows you're caught in web, it would be like quick. It would like pounce on you. That's how spiders behave. They don't, and and they can they they lay their webs in a way that they can then walk like along them. Spider, you know, spiders get stuck to their webs as much as anything else, but they it's they know which ones are sticky though, and so which it'll ones have aren't. A yeah, but they don't just they don't just plow th- they don't just put a load of web in a tunnel and then they do push their tunnel, spider. And they don't just push their way through the webs breaking them. Well, it's not a spider, is it? It's probably like a a schmider or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's a fucking <laughs> schmider. It's a Rob Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> um but the, the problem with that Snyder scene is that like, I would have enjoyed that if it was in the Fellowship of the Ring, I think. If it was, like, yeah, earlier on. Right. But it just, yeah. it just yeah. pacing-wise, it was just not an appropriate place The stakes place have changed, yeah. If they're attacked by that, it's like being attacked by the squid in the mines. It's similar sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's fair. I mean, it's it's meant to be in the Two Towers. Shelob appears oh, really? in the Two Towers, yeah. But they pushed it to the third movie for some yeah, reason. That's... Yeah, bad filmmaking. <laughs> right, I would now is is this a good point to talk about the ghost warriors? I was literally gonna say I've just found a note in my book that says, "Yeah, my boy gonna get himself a ghost <laughs> army." So I hated <laughs> it. Oh fuck you! <laughs> because it's it was like we took a step into the supernatural, which I didn't care for for a start. But also, it, what in this movie that has dragons? Um, a dragon, at least, is like a physical thing. I can imagine a giant elephant. I can imagine a dragon that flies. You know what I mean? It's, it's fine. Uh, sorry, did you say elephant? Yes, I meant sorry. <laughs> I can imagine like a giant Timothy elephant, but <laughs> the. Um... I want to see that extended edition. <laughs> Hundreds of Timothy Legolas taken down a Timothy elephant. But I think you have to accept that the ghosts are a step in a direction that we haven't been before. Peter Jackson himself didn't like them, wanted to cut them, but chose to keep it in to keep... But you can't uh, cut the ghosts. Happy. It seems like he's cut I it as much as possible really and they half-assed it, yeah. like them. I really like them. I think it gives Aragorn, um, even if, if we don't believe him by now, uh, we get to see Aragorn be, like, a really good king by keeping his word and, like, almost rescuing these people. I think the, the way that the ghosts are done is really cool. As I say, there's so much more in the extended editions, and that's really fun. You get to hang out in the halls of the undead for a bit longer. There's a whole scene with, like, skulls. It's brilliant. I think I come somewhere between the two of you on this issue, <laughs> which is... Basically, I agree. It, it is a step beyond anything we've had in this franchise up until this point. Really, it feels very out of place tonally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it feels too late in the story to be introducing such a mad element. But my, but my reaction to that is. Why the fuck didn't we get to some ghosts sooner? For fuck's sake! Like, <laughs> uh, I I love it because for me, let's ignore the fact that it's a ghost army and that's cool, and that ghosts are more interesting <laughs> than fucking beasting face orc things. Let's ignore <laughs> all of that. Let's ignore how brilliantly realized they are. How much Peter Jackson's directorial style comes alive when he's dabbling in horror territory. Mm. Like, let's put all that to one side. I love the trope of the big final battle 
and you need reinforcements and you have to mm. go and ask like an entire army of essentially enemies for help mm-hmm. and you don't know if they I mean again it's what happens in Army of Darkness uh, you know they <laughs> they go and ask the enemy side for help yeah it, but I, I I love that trope so yeah I love the inclusion in this film but I kind of agree that it, objectively it's probably not something that is massively justifiable but also it's not it's not handled well maybe in the extended edition you get more but it's very sort of thrown away you, yeah, you have two yeah, lines between it. him and the ghost leader and i i needed more i needed more setup for it frankly yeah. like yeah, yeah. It, it, i mean it might be that i just tuned out but i kind of felt like we needed mm, someone saying like well, there's one idea, but it, no, it's too crazy to work. Tell you know, it just—I felt like we needed more of that. To... I don't know. I like it. I know what you mean. I really like it though, and I think I'm troubled because I know so much more because of the mm. extended editions. I'm able to sort of have that in the back of my head whilst watching the theatricals, so it doesn't come as too much, too yeah, little yeah. for me. Does that make sense? There's also a, a, a moment here in this bit that just really annoys me, a classic example of bad writing, creating a moment of tension when it's not necessary. So Aragon and his friends go off into the mountain pass. They don't just pop into the other guys and say, by the way, we're off to the mountain pass to get the old uh, army of the dead. Uh, we'll be back in 20 minutes. They just wander off. And then whichever one it is, it's possibly Faramir, it could be Carl Urban. He says... Well, oh look, he's abandoning us. He's given up hope. We should all give up hope too, uh, and all that. And it's just that kind of bad right, bad character stuff. Where obviously the situation, the character that would just go up and go, "Oh hey, look, we're just popping off to get some reinforcements. We'll be back. Don't worry." And it's it's just shit writing, really shit. That did really annoy me. I'm not gonna lie. When they were like, "Oh, we should give up hope," blah blah blah. He's he's right to run off on the eve of battle. But it's like one line by Carl Urban's friend, and then King Theoden is like, "Shut up! It's gonna be great. We're gonna have a great time." Yeah, and he's and he says, "Yeah, you're right. There is no hope. But we're gonna go in anyway and die, so that we can at least die with honor." Which is and like annoying. it's you know I get it I get that you don't like that but that's a tropey trope trope of the fantasy it's, and it's the warrior they're a so. warrior class uh, yeah, there's, okay there's, there's, there's whatever, nothing but. wrong with saying that there's no hope but do you want to live as a you know oppressed slave I really like basically this this like gave me a kick up the ass and woke me up a bit and I was Yay! like back into the film for a brief period of time. And uh, it meant that the battle that takes place after this, I I was actually really engaged in. But I I mean, I don't know. I think this battle sequence is put together in a far more interesting way than most of this franchise, frankly, at least to begin with. Because it starts with that beasting knobhead orc. I hate that. (laughs) What is that character? I hate it. Morgrat. I uh, you know I I can't fucking stand right when you when you go oh we're gonna have a monster character and then the actor goes what should its voice be and you go you know just just the most generic monster <laughs> voice all right you mean like this all right yeah great don't don't come up with anything remotely unique or interesting don't think about it like an actor would from an acting point of view just do a monster voice. Oh, Gothmog, sorry. Gothmog, that's his name, yeah. (laughs) 
that is, yeah. Gothmog. I know I got that wrong. <laughs> Fear. The city is wrecked with it. This scene, one of my favourite things in the whole franchise, they start catapulting severed heads over the wall to freak yes, out the soldiers. I thought oh, that was really cool, actually. And I that struck me as something that's probably been done. Like, that's probably, like, something that, you know... That is something Genghis they, Khan yeah, or something, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, in a classic kind of really psychological... Oh God, probably, the British probably did it, I, let's be honest. I, I, I can't for the life of me remember what battle it was, but no, I, I remember being taught that in school about how some battle they were like catapulting dead bodies across the... Uh, it might, like you say, it might have been Genghis Khan or something. It might have been... Well, China, it could be anything, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, but no, that, that is a legitimate ago, it's all pretty intimidation... Fair, yeah tactic and it it's so cool because it's like oh this is interesting we're not just having thousands of shots of people whacking swords against each other we're actually seeing a bit of the Warfare. you know and not only are we seeing the the logistical like tactical side of it but we're seeing the human effect of it and it's like shitting up these soldiers and i loved it it's brilliant and this whole battle scene was so much cooler for it and i loved watching all the big lumps of rock being thrown around with the squishy noises yeah it held my attention for like five minutes which is pretty good for this film all the battles i think are fairly distinctive from the battle of helm's deep to the battle of the pelinor fields to the battles outside mount doom i think they are all quite distinctive so it's this point isn't it where gandalf beats a guy to death yeah, because Denethor looks over that he doesn't beat him to death for fuck's sake, he has a better death. Like, I would forgive you for making that mistake and find it funny if Denethor didn't have the greatest death in the entire trilogy. Like, Pippin has to go save Faramir from the fire and then Denethor runs off a cliff in flames. But, oh. this film, how much better would this film be if Gandalf did just kill him right then and there? Just, that was it. <laughs> He killed him. There was a little, there was just a subtle spatter of blood on his beard when he did it. (laughs) Gandalf was like, right, I'm in charge now. Um, There's a darkness then that comes with that. It's like when Giles kills that person in cold blood in Buffy. Mm. Remember that? I do. And then he's taking charge, leading the battle, which I love. And then you could just have some other boring character I don't care about set themselves on fire in a funny way, like Viggo Mortensen or something. Viggo Mortensen is the most important character. He's the title character. No, he's Return not. Return of the King. Oh, yeah, in this one. Return of the King. Yeah, but he's not the Lord of the Rings. No. And he's not the Hobbit. <laughs> but in, <laughs> that's the trouble, though, because what happens with Aragorn? You know? He's well, not the protagonist of the film. He's a, he's a solid leader, and then at the end, people go, oh, you're a good leader. Shall we let you lead us? Well, you know... It's his, he's the heir of Isildur. Well, that's the other thing that annoyed me, because it's all about, like, what your bloodline is, instead of, like, proving yourself. That's every fantasy ever. That's fucking Star Wars. Don't see you yeah. coming for Star Wars. Well, you should listen to our episode on Star Wars, then. <laughs> <laughs> then you will. <laughs> no, also, first of all, this did it first. Second of all, the whole fucking point So this started that terrible cliché that we hate. Not necessarily. It just the whole point is that it's the bloodline of man. Like how, like the Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, you didn't watch Game of Thrones, but like it's in there as well. It's history. It's like historical bloodline wars are fought over bloodlines in real life. So yeah, it's that. And but I don't agree with Sarah. them or 
feel like they're just wars because you know it's a load of rich people sending poor people to their death but it's on more than that this was like the sword that and the person that killed the greatest evil first time round but then fucked everything up for mankind he redeems a species but the problem is this is not aragon is not oh, you know, well, I'm from royal blood or whatever, so I have a legitimate claim to the throne. It's it, it's saying that because he is descended from that person, he therefore has the same magical powers that that person has in terms of no. being able to wield the magic sword that can cut off it's the magic, magic fingers sword. with the ring on it. I mean, I, I don't mind that so much because that's just, like, genetics, isn't it? You know, like... <laughs> it's supposed to be thousands of years, though. Yeah. He redeems the species of man. Men were like... Ring rates. They were fucked. They were gone. They were practically extinct. Nobody cared about them. They weren't important. He redeems the species of man. But why why that's something I can't fathom in this film. Why why do we care about man and why does man inherit the earth at the end? Because we we are clearly an inferior race compared to the elves and well, maybe not so much the hobbits. This isn't but I am we have got we've got no magical abilities. Well we've the elves no piss off, that's powers. why. That's why the elves leave of their own accord. They go off to a better place and leave yeah. Earth to humanity. And then the hobbits just have to die. And and my understanding is Tolkien was like not a fan like there was always a hint of that we kind of ruin the Earth anyway, because we industrialize it. Tolkien was hugely opposed to industrialization in general. But it's the wizards and the orcs that industrialize it. He's showing what man should be. I think he's writing a man that he wished would inherit the earth, as opposed to the wizards and orcs that did. But what? I mean, he wrote it in a world that was being industrialized. So he, knew, if this is meant to be before, like set in the past, it's not inevitable. It's Middle Earth, not Earth. It's not inevitable that this Earth becomes industrialized, especially with Aragorn as leader of all men. So you're saying Middle Earth isn't Earth? It's a different route, like a different universe. I don't. Well, it is. Is okay because I because that's what I, I used to think. But then Sean said it was like our world in the past because I was asking how there were like cats and human beings and like the same. Well, species yeah, perhaps, and grapes. It, and if it is, then I think Tolkien is writing, and he's not writing the future as he knows it. He's writing. He's rewriting the past. He's doing an inglorious bastard. He is. He's doing an inglorious bastard. Revisionist history. Can we go to the ending, the second ending, uh, which gives us the resolution of Frodo? No, hang on. I'm only two hours in. Oh, for fuck's sake. We've got a lot of movie left. Let's see. Two hours in, lots of elephant action is my note, but no one has the balls to say their name anymore. Aragorn turns up with Legolas and Gimli on the pirate ship because the orcs think the pirates are going to turn up, but actually it's the ghost army. Boom. And there's some brilliant shots of the ghost army just like uh, surging over people in the background of shots that are really funny and I love them. See, I loved that, except they're there for like 30 seconds and then they're gone again and that's it. It's like, wait, so we had that whole like. We had that 20 minute tangent setting this up and that's it. What was the point in that? Because we're setting up that Aragorn is a good king because he's like, you fulfilled your oath, I now release you, you can die in peace. Because they've been stuck in the mortal realm for however long. I just can't Um, get on board with it because he's not an elected leader. So (laughs) I just can't bring myself to be on his side. If he he was like a reluctant king, if it was like... uh, He is! 
That's his whole fucking shtick. He's a reluctant king. His whole storyline is that he doesn't want to be king. Did you watch the movie? Sorry, okay, sorry. If he was a reluctant king because he disagrees with the very idea of a monarchy, but he appreciates... <laughs> like Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? <laughs> he kind of appreciates that in the current circumstances there is a need for him to be the strong leader. But he kind this of was would like to 40s. instill a democratic process. You can kind of tell he doesn't really want this like role. Power. It, it, like <laughs> that that's what would be good. You don't know that he doesn't instruct a council immediately after we leave Minas Tirith. You don't know that, it's not shown. Also, it's probably well, in a ten hour fucking film with this much filler, <laughs> if I don't know that. The problem is, though, you know, a war leader is very rarely a good peacetime leader. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. yeah, Like, he can lead his troops into battle, but can he he put into a fair tax system? Probably. If there even is a tax system. Could be a tax system. Whoa. How are they... Yeah, where's all the money coming from? Who do you think's paying for those towers to be built? Uh, How do you know that they work with money and not just trade? No, you're right. They do. They do, Alan. It's because they they send a little squad off to kill a dragon every now and then and steal all the gold, <laughs> and that's how they fund their operation. Presumably. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and then Frodo gets to the bit where with some lava in his ring. Finally, yeah. And then I must say, I was genuinely surprised that he sort of turns around and goes, "Nah, you know what? I'm evil now." Disappears. I was like, "You've missed so much." (laughs) What he said, like the the big moment there. He says, "I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you." Thing is, he can carry it for him, and has done already when he lost it at the spider battle. He's not gonna abandon Frodo on the fucking side of Mount Doom, you bastard! God, I'm not. He's not abandoning him. He's taking a few steps away from him, and then he'll come back to him. Why doesn't Sam take the ring? Put it in his pocket, walk up to the lava, throw it in, come back to Frodo and say, we've solved the big thing. He has to carry Frodo with him anyway. So he may as well just carry Frodo with the ring. Why? He doesn't need Frodo. Frodo could be dead. He takes the ring and does it himself. The ring is so heavy right now. It's like a massive weight and burden. That is a metaphorical weight. Why is he carrying that plus Frodo? Because he's not just going to leave Frodo on the side of a mountain. Why? Why not though? Because, oh my god! Because the well, the point here is the thing you're finding important in the scene is Frodo's journey, and Frodo has to create complete this journey, get rid of this burden. But what's important and what the narrative is set up is that we have to destroy this ring of evil. It doesn't matter who gets there, unless Frodo is the special one. He's the one but who has the whole to do point it. Is the but we haven't set that and up. The bond. And, and they're not going to leave each other at this crucial point of the narrative. And that's why it's so sad. And Sean Astin's face is spectacular when Frodo says, no, the ring is mine. And Sam's like, oh my God, I just carried you up the side of a fucking mountain. And you're still doing this to me. Like, are you joking? Like, are you actually joking? But this is the problem with it. This is all so messy. What the fuck is the ring? Is this supposed to be a metaphor for something? Is Frodo affected by it because it's... <laughs> It's a, it's an addiction. It's a, or it's drawing something out of him. In which case, why is it not gonna? Why would it not do the same to Sam? Sam can it carry would. it. Frodo's been carrying it for fucking months, and it's had this it's not a whole really bur- it's heavy not burden just pass on him. It round. Why not? Do you not remember when Sam had it 
very briefly yeah. and Frodo was like give it back to me and he like went through a whole face journey and then he handed it back to him we like Frodo has had it for so long now it's a part of Frodo if Sam got it we'd have to go through the whole fucking rigmarole again and we don't know that Sam would take it up the side of the mountain and not just run the other way we know well, the point Frodo is it takes it takes time there. to get that hold on you so Sam hasn't has got loads of time to do no it. because the closer the ring gets to Mordor the, the stronger the ring gets no matter what is happening, Sam is not going to abandon Frodo on the side of a cliff. So he carries both the ring and Frodo to the mouth of Mandu. What you're saying is Sam values... Sam, Sam would rather let Frodo have a triumphant moment in the... Like, it's for not about having a triumphant moment. He would rather risk the lives of no, everyone in the world. He's not going to leave his... Friend yeah, on the yeah, side exactly. of the mountain. But that's the Fair point. The, is the journey, the problem, yeah. is this journey that we're following in this story, is it about this journey and Frodo completing this mission and, 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 and ridding himself of evil, or is it about destroying the ring? Because those two apparently are not linked because the ring is meaningless. It is not a metaphor. It is literally an evil ring. So if the point is to destroy the ring, that's what we need to do. Otherwise, you need to set up in the narrative that it's bound to Frodo in some way. He's the one who has to do it. He has to complete the motion. In which case... Yeah, I, think, I think that's literally a line from the movie. Frodo says, the ring is bound to me. Only in the same way it is to Gollum. In which case, you know, he can just take it off someone anyway. The, my problem with the whole thing, I think what it comes down to, is that the ring is bollocks. It's just a ring. It's literally a ring. It doesn't mean anything. There's no metaphor here. There's no subtext here. There is nothing here in this story. It is literally a journey to get a ring into a volcano, and they're not even very good at it. And they can't even tell that story well. There's no character development. Frodo is the one that should change, and all he does is get tired. Like, literally, there are so many things on Google explaining to you why Sam couldn't just carry the ring. Why? Well, like, just Google it. But, well, well why? What's, what is it? I, I, but the, the, he literally I, carried the ring. It. Frodo says, oh, I've lost the ring. The orcs took it. And he's like, no, no, I got it. Here, look, it's in my pocket. He's carrying the ring. What's the fucking problem? All right. I, no, hang on, hang on. I, I've Googled it. And it says the top result Google's pulled out is, for me, the only reason is that Sam loved Frodo. He realised he can't make Frodo part with the ring without doing great psychological, physical harm to him. At the very end, instead of carrying the ring, he carries Frodo. So I'm, I'm so okay what with that. Saying is that he he is more concerned. He puts Frodo, Frodo's ego above the lives of everyone in the world. It's not. Yeah. It's not as and, simple as ego. But he knows if he takes that away, Frodo's going to become a golem. Right. That's that's what it is. And he doesn't want to do that. But the point is, if he destroys the ring, that will release him, surely. That, and he's like 20 minutes away from doing that. And and also, in this story that we've created, destroying that ring is more important than Frodo. And that is something exactly, that was really yeah. missing in this whole thing. But do you not... Und like, do you not care about their friendship and their relationship? No, I do, actually. And I think that's actually one of the best parts of the film. I think Sam is one of the best this characters the thing, for that. And that's why I don't understand how you can just think that they would prioritise... When have you ever watched a piece of media where... I used to do the same. When I used to watch World War dramas and they'd be like, we have to go back for the injured, my childhood self would be like, why? 
they're pretty much dead. Why waste resources on them? Why bother risking it going to yeah, but that there's body when you but can there's just leave risking them? your you own life and risking everyone else. You know, it's like Spock would never go back and do something that would put the entire universe in danger, but he might put his own life in danger to save Captain Kirk. But this is Sam, remember. Yeah, I don't like him. I don't care about him and Frodo, and I wish they just hurry up. But and... also, it's Sam, and like, I don't. Maybe he doesn't. He kept talking about the return journey. He'd been totally naive up until this point. He probably doesn't see it as sacrificing millions. He probably doesn't realize that that's the consequences of his actions. It's fucking stupid, fat Sam. <laughs> but I think is right. I like Sam. I like the what he does. I like this whole character thing. I quite like the Sam Frodo stuff. My my kind of problem with that is that we set up Frodo as the lead character and then Sam becomes so much more important. It, it's never reflected in the the kind of way the characters are d- dealt with. And yeah, Frodo I, just kind of fades away, doesn't he? I have a real problem with the ending. Yeah. So the ending here, where Frodo... Frodo goes evil. Frodo, well, I'm all right with that. Frodo goes evil. Cool, I liked that. It Genuinely, I wasn't expecting it. They um they changed a lot of stuff at this point for the better. Frodo always chooses the ring over destroying it. I think it's brilliant. I think if it would be so easy for him to just destroy the ring, but they choose not to. When Gollum comes back um and steals the ring and like he bites his finger off, like, ew, what the fuck? He falls into the lava by just dancing in the book. He just does a little dance. That was so badly done, though, that, like, again... The sort of hanging off the side of the cliff was bad, but getting up and fighting for it is really cool. Having the sort yeah, of, oh, is, is he fallen as well? Like, that but was again, that, but like... again, talking about Peter Jackson's direction, the way that sequence... Again, I knew this film was going to end with Gollum falling into the lava, going after the ring. Mm. I just, you know, put that together, that it was inevitable that would be the end of the ring. And and when we see Gollum going after it, I'm like, right, he's gonna... It's gonna be like Terminator 2. He's gonna, like, fall into the lava, but he's gonna be, like, content because he has the ring. And And then what we get is he just looks at the ring, like, there's no, like... I thought he was going to smile as he was dying in yeah. the lava because he finally had the ring. But he's he doesn't even do because that. The, he's worried because he doesn't want the ring to touch the lava. That's his priority. He's try, He's constantly trying to save the ring as he goes under. I didn't like... It just didn't play. It just didn't seem right. He's happy on his way down. Nah. He, like, kisses it. Having a great yeah, time. Yeah. And then he tries to save it from the lava for as long as he can. And at this point... That should be the end of the film, but we're three hours in. Well, hang on, right? I want to go. <laughs> but that, this, the the ending there, and what Gollum's ending is, it should be Frodo's ending. And what I really wanted to happen, this is what I think should have happened, is that you know Frodo turns around and goes, "No, I'm I'm going to keep it. I think I think this is probably the best thing to do." Sam's like, "No, no." They tussle. Uh, they're trying to. He's, Sam's trying to get the ring off him. They're fighting, and it gets to a point where like. Frodo's hanging off the edge of the cliff. Sam's grabs his lapels to stop him from falling. And then they just have this tender moment, you know. Frodo looks into his eyes, a tear rolls down his cheek, and then he just sort of nods, and Sam knows what he has to do, and he lets go. And he le- Frodo can't let go of that ring, and so Sam has to make the sacrifice to let Frodo go. And, f- and then Frodo goes into the lava and dies. I think. It creates this beautiful narrative resolution with Frodo. And that would have been brilliant. I would have liked that. It creates the resolution for Frodo that the ring has taken him, but he's taken the sacrifice in order to save everyone else. Sam has to make this brutal sacrifice after everything we've seen to kill this person that he's served. But he knows it's the right thing to do as well for the greater yeah. good. 
That would be a great ending. I, I like I it. I would have loved that. I, I genuinely really like liked what you've just said. Like, I really like it. It doesn't fit in this movie. I'm really sorry. It's a 1940s fantasy movie. For like, I like that we get to see the repercussions and the consequences of Frodo at, afterwards. Obviously, you don't care, but like, Tolkien was in the war and it's all about the PTSD of the soldiers and all of that sort of jazz. But that's what you've got Sam for, because he's going to have to come away having seen his friend die. Uh, and, and even being partially responsible for that, even though he knows it's the right thing to do. It's like seeing your so- your friend injured and having to walk away from them because you know it's not yeah. it's not the right thing to do. Right. How how much better would it have been if like instead of having a tavern scene where they're all having a pint together, we have a tavern scene where they're all having a pint together except Frodo isn't there and then Sam looks a bit sad because like there's a memory of Frodo or they like go past his grave or something it's i don't know it's just yeah it, it would just be better yes yeah, Sam, because be that's also like like i say what the real growth and change that we see in that story is sam frodo doesn't really do anything mm. he's so sort of he's just lost in this sort of torpor and so when we get back to the shire and sam's just like oh well back to my old life i'll tend to the garden i got myself a nice wife I've got some kids and 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 frodo's the one who's kind of affected by the whole thing I think that's ch- it cheapens it somehow. Uh, maybe not, but I think having Sam go through that you journey is just good as good. Point. You'd have to find another ending for Gollum, but I think you could do that. I think you still need a justified no, ending No, you for could Gollum. have the same ending for Gollum. Yeah, you could literally have Gollum dive into the lava after Frodo's gone in already and died and just sort of... <laughs> maybe. But then we go and, we go and have the 20-minute the ending sequences... <laughs> Which I didn't think were like oh that. My it's, God. it's an odd choice to use the fade out that they used to end the previous movies like four times. Like maybe don't do I, that. I I genuinely I, they were just wrapping up each thread, and it made sense to me. You'd no, be like, but they what wrapped what them happened? up ten times. I I I I've heard about this film having twenty endings. It's like a well known. Yeah. Criticism of this film. It's a a well known bit of like hack hot take yeah. kind of stuff that this film ends 20 times but even that couldn't prepare me for the excessive and it, 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 like you say it's it's the film language it's the editing yeah. i i genuinely laughed out loud on like the fifth one it was the one <laughs> after you see a boat going off into the sunset and it like fades down i thought right that was finally it on like the fifth ending after the wedding after all this and then it fades up again and it was like <laughs> It was like watching Sideshow Bob walk into rakes for half an hour, where it's like, this is going on so long, it's like becoming really funny. And this is also like lacking for me as well, because what I want to see, if we're going to see the aftermath of all this, I want to see some brutality. I want to see them burying the dead. I want to see them post-traumatic stress. It's just happy ending no. after happy ending. You might get that in your new Lord of the Rings. Well, you, know like... what I, you know what I don't want to see? Specifically, I don't want to see some fucking terrible old age makeup on Ian Holm and him him being like, oh, I, I spoke about how great it is to see an old Bilbo Baggins at the start of uh, this trilogy and how I like uh-huh. aged up characters. But there's a fucking limit, right? I like older, like they've aged a bit. I don't like it when the actors start doing this, I'm an old man, and they're shaking. It's like, fuck off. You couldn't CGI him older after all your CGI wizardry. <laughs> like, just don't, just don't act 
diff- like, fuck off. I hated it. That's fair. Did you like the no homo Mr. Frodo? Like, they'd just gone through this whole thing and um, they're lying on the cliff face having just achieved, like, the biggest success. And, like, this would be the time where they would kiss. And then Sam's like, I really fancy that woman, Hobbit. Do you remember? She smelled like strawberries. And it's like, no homo, Mr. Frodo. It felt really like, where's this fucking wedding come out of, like, nowhere from? Why have we got this Literally, here? Literally, it's, like, vaguely irrelevant. established in Fellowship I know, of the Ring, I know, I know they, like, they hinted at it but, it, but it was just like, ah, oh, come on, that's not Yeah, but he's come back as the conquering hero, hasn't he? Like, word gets back that what they've done, what Yeah, so why is he marrying, no. like, some average the town woman? Know what done. Why is he not going round fucking 20 Elves. hobbits tonight? <laughs> he wants to get himself some elf action. Yeah. The... Sh- that'd be if this film ended with him in bed with fucking Legolas. That'd be <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Uh, thus ends the most overrated sacks of shit. <laughs> but, uh, <sighs> I get it, you guys. Like I genuinely do, but. I love fantasy and that's why I love these movies. And I think if you appreciate cinema or storytelling or just wanted some light relief after 9-11, like, <laughs> you're probably getting very late, like... But if you if you want some fun, cathartic release after 9-11, that's what Spider-Man was for, 2001. <laughs> that's what's... Yeah, so stick with that. A nice 90-minute superhero film. Good fun. Okay, guys, I was just going to steer you subtly back towards Lord of the Rings here. Um, I think it's about time we did ratings. Well, hang on, Alan, remind us what you rated the other two, just for context. So, the first film, Fellowship, I gave seven, uh, because I really found it quite watchable and perfectly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. The second film lost me a bit, it was just no much much less structure in all this, is. so I gave that a six. Um, this film, I hated it, uh, it... it it failed to capitalise on anything that the previous films have done. It's like the bad third act of a film. Um, there's no character development. There's no There's no real structure to it. There's 90% of the film is irrelevant. You could take out everything except Frodo and Sam, and I'd watch that. That'd be fine. Yeah. Um, there's so much dead weight here, uh, and not very interesting with it. Uh, and that's why I give it a 3 out of 10. Oh! <gasps> and that was... Uh, you know, fair, yeah, I was generous, okay? I, I was generous, uh, but, you know, you got to appreciate the uh, the effort that's gone in. A rebuttal from Emily Slade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making noises like Frodo does throughout most of the movie. <laughs> like, I have to say, it used to be my least favourite out of the three, and watching the theatrical cut instead of the extended was refreshing and lovely and it it made me look at it in a new light i used to just be like just get to the bit where sam carries frodo up the mountain but i'm i got to appreciate all the different um parts of it coming together this time um so i'm gonna give it a solid eight and a half (laughs) call it a nine that's a nine where we come from (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is good though so we've managed to get through this whole thing with lord of the rings fans without getting a 10 out of 10 Pretty pleased with that. I'm amazed by it. Yeah, I am <laughs> genuinely blown away. I, I kind of thought that all of these were going to be 10 out of 10s from people, and each one's been an 8 or a 9. Um, okay, so I'd never seen this one before. Ticking a big film off my list, finally. 17 years on. 
I gave the first one Fellowship. I bumped it down to a four out of ten on this recent rewatch viewing. Hate it. Fellowship. Good one. The best one. (laughs) No, it's not. It's fucking terrible. Um, The two towers. Big improvement. Five out of ten. And. I kind of, genuinely, I thought this was going to be my favourite, and I thought this might get up to a 7 out of 10, or more realistically, I thought I'd probably give it a 6. But no, it was worse uh, than The Two Towers, and I mean, at this point, I like with The Two Towers, I was just kind of numb to it all, so it wasn't able to piss me off in quite the same way as The Fellowship. Uh, so it's another five out of ten for me, but I do think it is Very a generous. step down from the previous film. Oof. So five out of ten from me. <laughs> uh, and you know, any any Lord of the Rings fans listening, the, I mean, I, there is a Lord of the Rings film out there that I rate higher than all three of these. So that's a tantalising hook for, <laughs> for when we cover. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what. We, what, it is. <laughs> what could it also be? wrong. <laughs> Uh, your wrong yeah. assessment there. Uh, oh, it's not the wrong have, assessment. I think it's a very justifiable assessment, but you'll have to uh, wait time. and see. Okay, so what we're going to do, guys, to save this episode having yet another ending, um, we're going to put out a sort of extended edition. <laughs> yeah. By which, by which I mean, we are going to put up a diminisode where we are going to cover the animated uh, films that preceded this trilogy the 1978 lord of the rings and the 1980 return of the king uh if you want to hear our thoughts on those animated films head over to our patreon uh patreon.com forward slash dim returns where for as little as one dollar a month you will have access to all the bonus shit we're doing like and subscribe yeah, yeah, there's loads of cool shit going on there. We're, we're about to broadcast a live episode to our patrons, though that'll probably have happened that by the time this definitely episode goes will out. definitely will have happened by the time this goes out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, cool, that's the sort of cool shit we're doing over there, you know? You, you could have been part of that if you were subscribed, so go and listen. Uh, more Lord of the Rings action there. We only did this trilogy because our patrons voted for it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure at some point we'll throw up the option of doing the Hobbit trilogy and our, our patrons will force us to do that. <laughs> but nobody likes the Hobbit film, so nobody wants to see nobody it. Nobody likes them. the Hobbit Yeah, films. but I think the Lord of the Rings fans will enjoy us slating those ones for three hours. Although maybe they've had enough of that for the last three episodes, so who knows. <laughs> But you know, maybe I'll have a maybe I'll have a controversial opinion. You know, I, 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 if you I, fucking turn around and say that the Battle of the Five Armies is better than Return of the King, I will find where you live and I will come into your house and I will hit you so hard across the face. Emily, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your attempts uh, to justify this film that failed. I did justify it. <laughs> Uh, thank you though Emily and you are of course on Why This Film Podcast if, if people want to listen to more of you Why Woo! This Film yeah Why This Film Podcast anywhere the podcasts are podcasting Grace who was on last week yep. mm. if you like listening to her and you like listening to Emily this week oh boy do we have a treat for you why don't you go and check out the bizarre crossover combination <laughs> of Grace's episode of why this 
film. Film. It's not out yet, but it will be. Well, if it's not out yet, Alan and myself have both done episodes as well. Yeah. So, yes. you, can, you know, use that as a jumping in point. 